Hello, everyone, and welcome to the October 31st edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A WCAB panel decision clarified the rules on the procedure for a county to recover Labor Code Section 4850.4 Advanced Disability Benefits after a deputy sheriff was found ineligible for the disability retirement. In this case, Rebecca Gage sustained injury to her lumbar spine while employed as a deputy sheriff by the County of Sacramento. She requested advanced disability pension payments pursuant to Labor Code 4850.4. The employer made three payments, but the payments were unreasonably delayed, and she is awarded Labor Code Section 5814 penalties for a delay. But the WCAB granted a petition for reconsideration filed by the county and reversed the penalty order. It found that because advanced disability retirement payments were not equivalent to regular workers' comp benefits, these benefits were not subject to a 5814 penalty. But then in 2016, the Court of Appeal reversed the WCAB in the published case and concluded that the WCAB does indeed have jurisdiction to impose penalties for delay in payment of disability advances. Subsequently, the parties resolved all penalties, but that was not the end of the problems with this case after 2016. Officer Gage received advanced disability pension benefits through October 2018, when her disability retirement application was denied. She received a total of $121,000. The employer scheduled a mediation to try and recover these benefits, but Officer Gage did not attend them. The case then proceeded to a WCAB judge to compel her to attend a mediation and the WCJ ordered that the parties were to meet and confer to reach an agreement on a repayment plan. Both parties filed a petition for reconsideration, which was granted in the newest WCAB panel decision of Gage versus the County of Sacramento. The panel this time concluded that the employer may not pursue litigation to recover the advance payments it made until applicant has failed to make payments per a repayment plan adopted either by an agreement between the parties or following submission of the issue to the employer's administrative appeals remedy. It was thus premature to address whether litigation, as that term is used in the statute, entails proceedings before the appeals board or in civil court or both. The order was therefore rescinded and the case taken off calendar, with the WCAB concluding that the Appeals Board does not have jurisdiction to force applicants' participation to agree on a repayment plan or in the local agency's administrative appeals remedy. And in employment law litigation, a federal appeals court with jurisdiction that covers California concluded that the Federal Labor Standards Act, that's the FLSA, mandates call center employees be paid for time spent booting up their computer at work. The employer in this case, Connex, 
a wholly owned subsidiary of Jan, Jan One Incorporated, operates a call center in Las Vegas, Nevada, that provides customer service and scheduling for an appliance recycling business. Karine Canada and similarly situated employees in the class action work in person at the call center as call center agents to provide customer service over a soft phone operated only through their employer-provided computers. And these employees clock in and out using a computer-based timekeeping program, which they must do before accessing other job-relevant programs. To reach the timekeeping program, employees must awaken or turn on their computers, log in using username and password, and open up the timekeeping system. Depending on the age of the computer and other factors, it would take anywhere from a minute to 20 minutes for the computer to boot up so they could clock in and then load various programs and scripts and be ready to accept phone calls. At the end of their shift, employees wrap up any calls they are on, close out job-relevant programs, clock out, and then log off or shut down their computers. The plaintiffs in this case filed suit in Nevada State Court alleging violations of the overtime provisions of the FLSA and Nevada law, since they were not paid for the time spent booting up their computers prior to clocking into the electronic timekeeping system, or closing down their computers after clocking out of the timekeeping program. Connex removed the case to federal court, which granted summary judgment in favor of the employer, concluding that starting and turning off computers and clocking in and out of a timekeeping system are not principal activities which is the requirement under FSLA, because Connex did not hire employees for that purpose, but only to answer customer phone calls and perform scheduling tasks. The trial court compared booting up to the electronic equivalent of waiting in line to clock in or out of a physical time clock, which is non-compensable. The plaintiffs appealed the ruling, and the United States Department of Labor filed an amicus brief in support of the workers. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed and remanded in the published case of Cadena v. Connex LLC. In this case, appellants raised a single issue for review, whether appellants' time spent booting up and shutting down their computers through which they access their phone and customer service programs is an integral and indispensable part of their duties and thus compensable under the Fair Labor Standards Act. The appellate court noted that clocking in may not be integral to the tasks for which the employees were hired and could be accomplished by other means, such as the traditional time clock or timesheet, but... The court went on to say that it thinks the correct inquiry is whether engaging the computer, which contains the phone program, scripts, customer information, and email programs, is integral to the employee's duties. It said that when the employee's duties are understood in this way, the electronic timekeeping system becomes a 
red herring. All of the employee's principal duties require the use of a functional computer, so turning on or waking up their computers at the beginning of their shift is integral and indispensable to their principal activities. The case was therefore remanded to the district court for consideration of whether time spent shutting down the computers was also compensable. And now our crime report. A workers' compensation applicant attorney was sentenced to four years in state prison in order to pay over $700,000 in restitution to 17 different insurance carriers for participating in two separate insurance fraud referral schemes. Attorney John Woods, who lived in Cyprus, was convicted this August of 37 felony counts of insurance fraud, along with an aggravated white-collar crime sentencing enhancement. Woods was one of 10 workers' compensation applicant attorneys charged by the Orange County District Attorney's Office in June of 2017 as a result of a complex insurance fraud investigation. Charges were also filed against Carlos Aguello, Fermin Iglesias, and Edgar Gonzalez, along with four chiropractors and several employees working for Carlos Arguello. Carlos Arguello, his employees, and Fermin Iglesias have all pleaded guilty in their Orange County Superior Court cases. Arguello and Iglesias were also charged in federal court for violating federal laws related to their scheme with medical providers, resulting in a four-year federal sentence for Arguello and a five-year federal prison sentence for Iglesias. Attorney Woods was found guilty of participating in two different insurance fraud schemes, one with a marketer named Carlos Aguello and the other with a subpoena company owned owner named Edgar Gonzalez. Woods paid Carlos Aguello for workers' comp clients procured through Arguello's attorney marketing business, Central Legal International, and later known as Tu Justica Legal, as well as Centro de Ar Arbogados. Arguello's business handed out more than 4 million business cards, sized flyers each month to attract prospective workers' comp clients for Arguello's marketing scheme. The flyers contained different toll-free numbers that all rang to a call center located in Tijuana, Mexico. The call center operator served as a sales force responsible for securing clients for Arguello's attorneys. Arguello distributed clients to law firms based on the amount each law firm paid Arguello for clients that month. Attorney Woods also sent records, subpoena work, to companies controlled and operated by him in an amount equal to the number of clients he received from Arguello. These companies billed the injured worker's employer for all the records subpoena services they provided for Woods. Arguello's scheme required that all clients procured through his marketing would be sent to clinics chosen by Arguello's organization. Similar to the lawyers participating in a scheme, a group of doctors or chiropractors were also paying Arguello for workers' comp patients. Woods was also found guilty of participating in a second fraud scheme 
in which he referred additional records subpoena work to USA Photocopy, a subpoena company owned by Edgar Gonzalez. Arguello and Gonzalez's record subpoena companies had offshore offices in El Salvador, where employees reviewed subpoenaed records to identify more businesses that they can serve with more record subpoenas on Attorney Wood's behalf. Eduardo Carbarley Sr. and his son Edgar Carbales Jr., both of San Jose, have been charged with five felony counts of insurance fraud after investigators found they allegedly underreported $12 million in employee wages and payroll to save on workers' compensation insurance premiums. The Carbales own two commercial cleaning companies in San Jose, Pine Building Maintenance and Network Facility Management. The investigation discovered that the two had only secured insurance coverage for a fraction of their Pine Building Maintenance employees, and they had never secured a workers' comp insurance policy to insure their network facility management employees, even though the majority of their business was operated through that second company. The father and son accomplices failed to report about $12 million in wages to the state fund, resulting in $4.2 million in lost premiums. The Santa Clara County District Attorney's Office is prosecuting this case. The Labor Commissioner's Office has reached a $2.2 million settlement with the owners of three Sarvana Bavan restaurant franchises in Fremont, Mildepas, and Sunnyvale. The settlement secures compensation to 317 employees at the three restaurant locations for unpaid minimum wage, overtime, meal premiums, split shift premiums, and inaccurate wage statements. The settlement also covers an allegation that the employers kept tips that had been left for employees by their customers. Each worker received on average about $7,000. This settlement follows an investigation by the Labor Commissioner's Private Attorney General Act, that's PAGA, PAGA unit, which found labor code violations that affected these employees, including servers, bussers, hosts, kitchen staff, and cooks who worked at the three restaurants. Based on its investigation, the unit issued a citation for wages and penalties that totaled nearly $6.2 million. The citation was issued to Spice Route LLC, Southern Spice LLC, and Supreme Cuisine LLC, and managing partners Asker Junaid and PK Permule. A federal investigation has recovered more than $200,000 in back wages and liquidated damages for 13 workers at a Southern California car wash, whose employer shortchanged them and committed other violations. Investigators with the U.S. Department of Labor, Wage and Hour Division found that MG Petroleum Incorporated, the operator of Rancho Car Wash, a gas station, mini market, and car wash in Rancho Cucamonga, attempted to hide its illegal actions by giving workers two paychecks, one, 
for the first 40 hours worked, and a second for overtime hours paid at straight-time rates. The division also determined MG Petroleum required workers to take lunch breaks as customer demand dictated, which left employees unable to take the state-required uninterrupted one-hour lunch breaks. The investigation led to the recovery of nearly $102,000 in back wages and an equal amount in liquidated damages. Back in fiscal year 2021, the Wage and Hour Division recovered more than $138 million in unpaid overtime wages for more than 145,000 workers. And now our regulatory news. The U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission released the Know Your Rights poster on October 19, which updates and replaces the previous EEO is the law poster. These posters should be placed in a conspicuous place in the workplace where notices, are to, where notices to applicants and employees are customarily posted. And employers are encouraged to post the notice digitally on their websites in a conspicuous location. In most cases, electronic posting supplements the physical posting requirement. In some situations, such as employers without a physical location, or for employees who telework or work remotely and do not visit the employer's workplace on a regular basis, it may be the only posting. The new poster also includes a QR code for applicants or employees to link directly to instructions for how to file a charge of workplace discrimination with the EEOC. The new poster uses straightforward language and formatting, notes that harassment is prohibited form of discrimination, clarifies that sex discrimination includes discrimination based on pregnancy and related conditions, sexual orientation or gender identity, and provides information about equal pay discrimination for federal contractors. The poster is available in English and Spanish and will be available in additional languages at a later date. Printed notices should also be made available in accessible format as needed to persons persons with disabilities that limit the ability to see or read. Wage theft has been a federal crime for decades, but in California, where felony cases are punishable by up to three years in jail, prosecutors across the state rarely filed criminal charges based solely on wage theft. But some prosecutors say that is beginning to change. As California continues to grapple with the scope of wage theft, prosecutors say criminal charges should become more common. Several prosecutors' offices in recent years have announced units that will focus on labor violations such as wage theft. George Cascone, Los Angeles District Attorney, agreed to take referrals and investigate wage theft alongside the Labor Commissioner's office last year. These efforts often draw on law enforcement that already is targeting related forms of white-collar crime, such as workers' comp fraud or tax evasion, where victims are other businesses or the government rather than workers. 
Last year, California lawmakers gave law enforcement additional flexibility when charging wage theft as a felony. And according to a report released last year by the Economic Policy Institute, nationally there is a rise in criminal prosecutions of labor abuses. That study noted that since 2017, prosecutors in 15 states have brought new criminal cases against employers. But some labor experts question whether criminal prosecution is an effective tool for actually recovering money. The legal and policy research manager at the UCLA Labor Center said that when a business owner gets convicted, if they are behind bars, they're definitely not paying their workers. Others say the threat of jail time and the negative press associated with criminal charges are stronger deterrents than other labor enforcement methods. And a deputy district attorney in San Mateo County said the prospect of jail also can force a business owner to pay restitution. And in medical news, some emerging science may support apportionment of musculoskeletal disability to smoking tobacco. California Labor Code Section 4663 mandates that apportionment of permanent disability shall be based on causation. So what does tobacco smoking cause? Well, RX Informer just published an article known as the triple threat of tobacco use on employer, clinical, and medication complexity, which shows the effects tobacco use has on musculoskeletal injuries and thus may potentially be an avenue to explore apportionment of PD benefits. This report is well documented with references to academic and scientific literature, which supports the key takeaways from the article. It says that tobacco use, including cigarette smoking, has specific impacts on injured worker patient populations and is recognized as a patient risk factor with workers' compensation health care. Tobacco use increases fracture risk, slows healing, and is linked to increased risk for post-surgical complications that increase morbidity, mortality, and health care interventions. And tobacco smoke can negatively interact with a number of medications prescribed in workers' compensation. Cigarette smoking is known to delay wound healing due to the damage it inflicts on blood vessels, blood flowing to wounds, and decreased oxygen levels in the blood. Smoking also erodes the entire musculoskeletal system, degrading bone density and leaving individuals at higher risk for fractures, slower healing, and non-union. And in other injury news, AM Best reports that the annual underwriting profit in the U.S. workers' compensation line of business has averaged $4.8 billion in the last five years and totaled almost $24 billion during the period, a level of profitability they say was unmatched by any of the other major property casualty lines of business. Direct premium volume also rebounded in 2021 to $52.2 billion following a sharp drop in 2020, reflecting the benefits of 
workplace safety and legislative changes that have reined in workers' compensation claim costs and the frequency of claims continues to decline. The segment's net loss ratio has ranged from 45.4 to 49.0 in the most recent five-year period, and the combined ratio remained within the range of about 86.2 and 92.2 during that period. Strong favorable loss reserve development for workers' compensation drove the positive calendar year results and was the primary reason for the entire property casualty industry's favorable reserve development. So what appears to be a redundant reserve sets the stage for more favorable development in 2022. In addition, unemployment was at 3.5% in September 2022, down significantly from 5.4% for 2021. And these indicators suggest a continued rise in workers' compensation premiums through the end of 2022, but that will depend on other economic factors. But a senior industry analyst at AMBEST said that inflation could disrupt this stable environment. He said that if inflation causes lost costs to increase, particularly on the medical side, Without a commensurate increase in employee wages, rate increases may be necessary to cover this gap. Inflation could also necessitate companies further sharpening their risk management and loss control efforts to limit claims frequency. AMBEST also analyzes the overall health of workers' compensation line of businesses throughout its workers' compensation composite, which is composed of U.S. companies including state funds, whose workers' compensation and excess workers' compensation net premiums continue 50% or more of their total net premiums. As of the end of 2021, these specialists accounted for almost 35% of overall industry workers' comp net premium volume, up notably from just under 30% in 2011. Net income for this population has been consistently solid at more than $3 billion each of the past six years. The associate director at AMBEST said, however, that although net income remains strong, it has not been growing, even as policyholders' surplus has, and this has led to a drop in after-tax return on equity over the past two years. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkCop Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news podcast and other utilities on our free WorkComp apps Dot com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.